you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. I am very thankful to be with you this morning. Know that tears were shed last week when we were not able to. When you're, when you love, when you love the Lord and you love God's people, there is no better place to be than, than church on Sunday morning. And so as we were singing these songs, and I was wondering why everybody was crying, if it was because they were listening to my voice sing and they didn't get to hear yours, but it was because they wanted to be with you. We wanted to be with you. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 39, I've entitled this series or this sermon that has three parts to it. Hold fast, a call to spiritual steadfastness in the midst of COVID. My hope is three things here. My hope is to first encourage spiritual steadfastness for our church in this trying and difficult times. To second, warn you of the seriousness of not being steadfast. And then thirdly, to over the next three weeks to give you, especially today, to give our church a clear path forward. As, as we are seeing, you know, that we're not over. We hope this was being done. I have not dealt with COVID and anything uh, uh, directly in a, a sermon specifically directing toward it since March. Everything's been in application from other sermons, but um, I really, really want to, to lay forth some groundwork for you and encourage you and also to, to share with you what the scriptures say. And Hebrews chapter 10 has just been that for me. It has been the answer of a pastor's heart what to share with his church. And so Hebrews chapter 10 has been that. And so I I want us to dig into that this morning. And so we'll look at this over the next three weeks. The reason why we're going to have the testimony spread out over the next three weeks rather than just on uh, one Sunday uh, so that I'll have an opportunity uh, to uh, finish this sermon series before Christmas. So so I want to do this. Read with me Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read the whole text. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. And we're going to go all the way to verse 39. He says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve? He who trampled under the foot of underfoot the son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. For if we know him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. 
For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if, he, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those to shrink back to destruction. But of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. What we have here this morning is an exhortation. We have an exhortation. Now, thankfully, we are in good hands. Amen? If you, if you were here last week or you watched the sermon last week, I am so thankful for Brother Trey on the spur of the, spur of the moment to be able to, to preach. And, and in God's providence and in God's sovereignty, Brother Trey was able to lay the groundwork and the context uh, for what we are going to look at, saving me some time uh, in, the, in the preaching of this sermon. So, so I'm very thankful for that. And so, so he laid the groundwork last week that... That basically verses 19 and 21 there is a summary of his sermon from last week. That because of the supremacy of Christ as our high priest and the supremacy of Christ as our ultimate sacrifice, his work of salvation worked. And so therefore, we should have confidence in Christ. We should have confidence in him, his word, his work. And so that, that's pretty much the summary you get there in verses 19 and 21. It's just kind of real simplistic, but, but, but that is it. We could spend all day unfolding verses 19, 21. But we are in good hands, beloved. But what does that mean for us now? That, that is the question that we come to here in chapter 10. As the author has spent all these chapters in laying forth this groundwork of the greatness and supremacy of Christ. Asking the question of what do we do now? As Brother Trey said last week. It is unbiblical for you to say, let go and let God for us just to be like, look, you know, God's going to take care of it. I'm just going to hang back and, and, and God's got this. Everything's going to be okay. That's unbiblical. According to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. So though God is working in you and through you, God is doing this great work of salvation. God is sanctifying us. God has brought you and I into the labor of sanctification. God has brought us into this issue of sanctification where we are drawing near and holding fast and loving and doing good works. And so that is what the author of Hebrews is now turning to address here. Because of Jesus' work of salvation, we have a simple and clear exhortation. Exhortation meaning to summon to one side. It is the act of... Of calling people to come with and, and giving them strength and confidence and a hope. Filling them with a strength by an external agency. And for us, that is Christ and his work. And so now we see here in verses 19 to 25. This will be where we are this morning. We see an exhortation. This summoning of a church during times of great difficulty. To, to, to come together and press forward for Christ. You say, what difficulty? Well, look back, look over to verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. 
Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches, tribulation, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. We, we see verse 34, you show sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. They were being persecuted. They were being persecuted, not really to the point of death, but they were being persecuted and they were suffering great difficulty because of their faith in Christ. Their faith in Christ put their physical life in jeopardy. Their worship of Jesus put their family and their loved ones, brothers and sisters, moms and fathers, I mean, moms and dads, put, put sons and daughters in jeopardy because of their love and their faith and their worship of Christ. And they did really well. They did really, really well at the beginning. But now they, after some time had passed, All this difficulty, all these trials were beginning to weigh on them and they were becoming tired. They were beat down physically and emotionally and they, they were fatigued, to, exhausted to this great point that the temptation to go back to an easier life was great. Verse 36 and 39, we see here, for you have need of endurance. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back. Chapter 12, verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. They were losing heart. They were tired. And it and the temptation to go back to the way things were, the temptation to say, all right, let's put everything on pause. Let's just stop what we're doing. And, and maybe all this will pass over one day and let life be easy was very great. And if you and I are honest with ourselves in some small way, in a very small way, we can sympathize. 2020 has not been easy. Our life has been altered. I truly think that it's always been an illusion that sin has always, our, country, our world, our country has always been wrecked by sin and depravity. But the illusion is now gone and we see a world that we do not know. And we are tired in living in this world. And we really thought that, that when the election came, and we really thought that when 2021 come, it's all going to be over with. That our way of life would somehow go back. And so we're living in a world where fear consumes some and anger consumes other. And division seems to be the, the priority of the day. That anger and division can develop just because you have a simple difference of opinion on something with someone. Not even a sin issue, just a simple difference of opinion and leading to which leads to the fear of having meaningful conversations that we used to have and, and and the loss of loved ones because certainly people have died and people are sick so we lose those that we love and we have the fear of losing those that are alive we social distance ourselves to the very point that now what we used to have in meaningful conversation and and handshakes and hugs is now a an elbow or a fist bump and, and there's this social distance. We're not meant to live that way. Our, our government is in chaos and that breeds all kinds of emotions. And frankly, can we just. Can we just say this morning that we're tired? We're tired. It used to be easy. And now it's not. And we're just tired. And the temptation is to shrink back and to waver. I cannot verify this, but I have heard from other pastors and those within the LBC that 
of their attendance before COVID has not, has not come back since March. That's called shrinking back. It's called, that's called falling away. That's called wavering. So there in Hebrews chapter 19, verses 19 and 25, this author has a fear for his people, the people he loves. And so he gives them this exhortation. He lays out these three things that, that, that they need to do, that they must not waver on. These th- three things that they cannot give up on. And I think that this is very good because there are going to be adjustments made. And that's fine. We're, we're going to do things differently. And that's great. And that's okay. But there are three things below that the Christian cannot waver on. He gives them here. Draw near to God. Hold fast the confession of your hope. And stir one another or encourage one another to love and to good works. These are the three things, beloved, that we must make our priority of. So I want you to look at these with me. Let's begin here in the very first one. Look at verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As Brother Trey said, that's some good stuff right there. We could spend all, we could spend all day on that one verse, but, but verse 22 here, the writer is exhorting the Christian community to draw near to God. He, he's in draw, that, that word draw means to approach. He's calling them to approach God in, in a way that they've never approached God before, to, to be in the presence of God in a way that the Jewish community had never known before. For the Jew, they knew this as the Holy of Holies. That this was a dwelling place of God. This was where, where God was and you could not go unless you went through all this ritual stuff cleansing where one priest got to go and he could not even go with confidence because if he, if he had sin, if he had sin or if something wasn't done right, he could die immediately right there in the Holy of Holies. So, so, so this was not a place you could go with great confidence, but it was a place that every Jew wanted to be. They wanted, they wanted to go into the, the very place of God's presence, but they could not be there. There was this great large thick curtain and it was it would hindered them from going in it, it protected them from going in with their sin and them being destroyed but it was also a symbolic reminder of, of why they could not go in because they were sinful and they had they were not able to go into the presence of God but now Christ has died God who is flesh has died as the ultimate sacrifice, he is the, the he has risen, proven himself to be the ultimate priest. And he has ripped that curtain apart. And sin no longer hinders us. Sin, nothing hinders us, beloved, if we come to faith in Christ and repent of our sins. Nothing hinders us from having fellowship with God, the very place that they have always desired. Now, imagine with me, if you will, with me. Uh, if you, if your greatest desire this morning was to go to Disney World. Now, I know that for some of you, that's going to be a stretch. So just really work hard on your imagination. But let's just say that your greatest desire was to go to Disney World. But, but you wanted to, you wanted to go, but you never had the money and the distance and all of these things hindered you. But one day you hear on the news that Disney World has opened up its doors free of charge. There's no, everything is free and you can stay as long as you want. They'll even come and pick you up and bring you there. And all of a sudden you have an opportunity now to draw into the very one place you wanted to go. So what are you going to do, right? You're going to go. And so now there is nothing stopping us from drawing near to the Lord. The one thing, beloved, that we were created to have relationship and worship of the Father 
has now been opened up and he calls us to go. And so here we have this idea that that it carries this idea that we're not going to shrink back. Because if we shrink back and we do not go, then maybe you didn't like Disney World as much as you thought you did. Or if you do nothing and you stand still, it still shows that you maybe did not love it as much as you said you did. And so he's calling them. You must draw near to God. Nothing is hindering you. Come now. And therefore, the author is calling them both to draw near to God in two areas. The issue of salvation, for there were some within the church who had not yet believed upon the Lord. They were going there. They were part of the community. They were listening to all these things about Jesus and the gospel. They were celebrating with the, with the Jewish brethren, but they had not yet repented of their sins and given their life to Jesus. And so he calls them, you must draw near in salvation. You must repent of your sins and you must believe upon Christ. That Christ would come and live within your heart. That Christ would come and be your God and be your Savior. Draw near in salvation, beloved. That because Christ died and rose from the grave, that you who are sinful can now be made clean. And so I would call you this morning, beloved, that if there is one here this morning who has not repented of their sins, who made me like some of these Jewish people who, who thought they were in good hands because they were attending church, because they were doing some of the thing, but had not yet repented and believed upon Christ. I would call you this morning to be saved. I, I, I would tell you this morning, there is nothing hindering your salvation. That because of Christ, it has been the way has been made open for you. So come and be saved this morning. But not only that, we find that they are being called to draw near to God in sanctification as well. Hebrews chapter 6, 1, press on in spiritual maturity. This is, this is one of the things that he's calling. He's calling these Jewish brethren and sisters here to press on in sanctification with God. Draw near to God that you may become more like him. That you may become more like Christ. That you may become holy. Well, beloved, these are the essentials for the Christian believer. The way has been opened up, a new way, a way through Christ. And we must not shrink back. And notice that he doesn't give them any type of excuse on the situation that they are facing. The persecution. The seizure of their property. The harm brought to them and their family. The exhaustion and fatigue and the trials of the Christian community did not change the mandate from God. We must realize that the mandate from God is greater than the mandate from man. And so that means you and I cannot just throw our hands up and say, I'm going to wait till all this is over and then I'll draw near. We cannot stop and say, it's been a good run. I still believe in Jesus, but, but, but I'm going to go do this over here. And then one day I'll, and when it's all, I, then I can maybe one day, well, you cannot do that. Adjustments can be made. But beloved, we are exhorted as a church this morning to draw near to God as well. That means for the lost person, as I said, you come to Christ in faith and repentance this morning. Repent of your sins. I would say to the Christian this morning, this means that you would draw near to God in Christian maturity. FPC, if we were to have to shut down, 
If we're not able to do Sunday nights or stuff like that, if we're not able to have Thanksgiving meals, if we're not able to have, you know, the, 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 the fellowships and the, the evangelism events, hear me, hear me this morning. You cannot just sit at home and watch the news. You must grow spiritually in this. More than ever, we are to be praying. More than ever, we are to be reading the Word and finding strength in the Word. More than ever, we are to be memorizing the Scriptures. More than ever, we are to be gathering with our families and worshiping. More than ever, we are to struggle and fight for the corporate worship. This is not a time for you and I to put our spiritual devotion to Christ on hold. We are to draw near. So even if you set the corporate worship aside for just a moment... You should be on your knees in tears and in prayer and in the study of the word. Because if everything is taking away from us, I still have a way. I still, the curtain has been ripped. I still can meet with God and I'm going to meet with him. You must exercise devotion. You must exercise the very fact that you are more devoted to Christ in heart and in life. More devoted to Him by drawing near to Him, trusting in Him and having confidence in Him rather than the latest headlines. That at the end of the day, you are more devoted to Christ than your spouse and your children and and your employers and to the other desires of this world that you love. You are more devoted to Him and Him alone. That you are less grieved about not being able to work than you are about the fact that you can't worship God. That is your greatest, that is supposed to be your greatest devotion. And so you must press forward in your spiritual sanctification with Him in this time. And I would even then say for the church, we must draw near in worship. He, he lays this out for us as, as one of the ways we draw near. Look, look at verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. To forsake the assembling of the worship is to shrink back as a Christian and as a church. This is our greatest labor. You are not going to be persecuted, beloved, because privately in your house you pray. We will be persecuted because we gather. Why? Because the gathering is the greatest labor and the greatest expression of your faith in Christ. And so therefore, the greatest labor, beloved, is that we would fight to meet. And so therefore, our church must continue to fight. We must continue the struggle to try to gather as much and as often as we can. Not everything is essential. I know that may sting. Not, not everything is essential. Not every Sunday school class, not, not, not every Sunday night class, not every event, not every prayer meeting, not, not every potluck, not, not, all, not everything that we do as a church is essential. But the worship of God together is essential. It is more essential than going to the marketplace and getting food to eat during the week. For man shall not live by bread alone. It's essential. And so we must fight for it. 
That doesn't mean that we won't make, that we won't make adjustments. It doesn't mean that if there's an exposure that we don't stop for two weeks. That is the plan. If we have an exposure, we will stop for two weeks to, to lessen that. But we cannot, as a church, cannot throw our hands up and say, God, I know that curtain's been torn down, but we're just, we're going to, we're not going to go. It cannot be forsaken. As some Christians have done and as some churches have done. So we will continue to push forward in the worship. We will, we will ask everyone to, consider, to, to prayerfully consider wearing masks in between the services when you're, when you're mingling around. We're, we're going to have the chapel over there. We're going to have social distance. We're going to provide hand sanitizer. We're going to do all of those things. And being wise in the protect, and that we may protect the worship. And if you are uncomfortable and you say, Brother Brian, I'm just really worried right now. The, the things are And you say, I just need to stay home for a Sunday or two. Beloved, we understand we understand. But that's a Sunday or two. He says, do not forsake the assembling together as is a habit. So let me speak this morning to those who are uncomfortable. And I do this with much love and with much grace this morning. Hear me. Grace is available for you. Grace is available for you. But we must admit that the word of God says that we cannot forsake the assembling together. If fear is prolonging your worship from weeks to months to a half a year to a whole year. Then you must open up to your church family. If you are really struggling. Would you please open up to us? Would you call a dear brother and a dear sister on the phone and say, okay, I am really struggling. I, I want to be there, but, but, but I can't right now. I'm, I just, I'm consumed with this. I can't come. I'm struggling. Can you hear me something, beloved? That's okay. That's good. You're struggling. You're drawing near by asking for help. You're drawing near by saying, I got this problem and this struggle. I want to be there, but I can't. I'm going to fight this. Fight it with your faith family. Let us walk with you. Let us help you. Let us do everything we can that you may have the confidence that he is talking about in verse 22. That you can draw near to God. And we will walk with you in all those other ways of prayer and Bible study and, 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 and conversations and stuff. That you may eventually one day be able to walk back in and say, I have been struggling for so long to be here. Do not fight the struggle on your own. Do not throw your hands up and say, I'm just going to wait till it's over. Because the next passage is a huge warning to those people. The next passage is a huge warning of judgment and hell to those who say, I'm just not coming. I'm just done with this. We love you. We love you. And as your pastor, I'm exhorting you to let us help you. Let us walk with you in this that you may once again sing within the church. No shame. No judgment. 
but brothers and sisters in Christ struggling together to draw near to God as we've been called to do. And so this will be our first and ultimate goal that we will meet and we will worship as as best as we can as we are able to. We will be wise and we will, we have plans in place and there are things that we can do. But at the end of the day, if we have to let everything go, the one thing that we fight for is this right here. But secondly, what else do we fight for? We hold fast the confession of our hope. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The the, the idea of this verse is that the Christian is to keep holding on to the past declarations of certain hope. For the Jewish Christians, they had professed faith in Christ. They had professed faith in Him and belief in Him and and all kinds of different... They probably had their own statement of faith, kind of like we do. They probably went to funerals at times and said, said they're in a better place. They, they probably said, God is with me. I can, I can go through this. They, they made many declarations of faith before. But now the difficulties that were weighing on them was leaving them to waver in those professions of faith. They began to realize life may be a lot easier if we just stop worshiping. If we just go along with the world. If we go along... With our Jewish brothers. I mean we can still love Jesus. We can still talk about Jesus. We can still pray to Jesus at home. But, but you know all these other things that we're doing. It, it's making life difficult. And so, so maybe we just need to not hold on to that right now. Beloved in 2020 God has shaken our world. Hebrews 12, 25, 29. He has shaken our world. He has shaken it. Not Satan. God has shaken the world. That he may show us the one thing that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. So the question then becomes is, do you truly believe and trust in the very things that you have professed your whole life to believe? That is the second essential thing that we must do in these difficult times. Hold fast the confession. Hold fast the things that we have declared to believe. You say, what confessions? What declarations? Well, have you not said in your life that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Lord? Have you not said that Jesus is your greatest love? Have you not said that the word of God is inspired? It is truth without error. It is is the ultimate authority over man's life. Have you not said that? Jesus Christ alone is our salvation, nothing else. Jesus Christ is sovereign over all things. He is the one shaking the things. My trust is in him. I cannot be shaken. Jesus has all power. Jesus' promises are faithful. We have said many things, have we not, over the years? About Christ. And it's very likely that you and I have said and agreed on these things before. And now we are being put to the test. Do we really believe the very things that have been proclaimed from this pulpit... The very things that you have had discussions with other people before. I exhort you, brethren, just as this author is exhorting these these Christians, I exhort you, hold fast to the confession that you have made. Keep believing it. Keep holding on to it as hard as it is may be for you. And I know that some of you may be struggling with this. 
So hear me now. If you are struggling this morning and holding fast, if you are tired and you are ready to let it go, please don't. Call us. Call your Sunday school teacher. Call your pastor. Call your deacon. Call your most trusted Christian friend. And fight. And fight. Say, I don't understand. I'm struggling with these things. I've always said these things. I've always believed these things about Jesus. And this is, I'm tired. And these, this year has, has really, really tested my faith. And I'm, I'm worried that I'm about to let it all go. There's no shame below. There's no judgment here. As long as you fight. That's the message. Don't wave the white flag. Fight. And so if you were saying, I'm about to let it all go, please let someone help you. Let us pray with you. Let us talk with you. Let us encourage you. Let us weep and cry together over these things. Because these truths are real. God is real. His promises are real. And God is faithful. And so I want to say, I really want to say, I want to just call out names, but I'm not. I have been more encouraged by some of you than I've ever been encouraged by anybody else in my life. There are those of you in this church over the last eight months who has encouraged me great more than any other pastor I've ever heard preach because I know the struggle. I know the struggle to gather. I know the struggle. And you fight. And you worship. And you press on. And I go to bed at night when I am discouraged. When I see so many give up. I am reminded. Not everybody. And so those of you who come and you are here and you fight, knowing it would be so much more easier to let go. You have encouraged your pastor. I am blessed to be your pastor. You have done my heart well. As a church, our second goal must be to hold fast to that which we believe about Christ about God, about suffering and death and about heaven and hell and all of these things. We hold fast. And then thirdly, we stir one another to love and good works. He says, let us consider how to stir or to encourage or to stimulate or to rouse. Any one of these words can be used here. One another to love and good works. Not only do we not shrink back from God, we are not to shrink back from one another. And if you were wondering how strong this stirring is, I love this. The Greek word literally translates into irritation. Some of you, this fits very perfectly. You are such encouragers and such loving to other people that you actually irritate them. Because you're not going to let it go. Randy Layfield's looking at me thinking I'm talking about him. 
This is the type of love, beloved, that we have for one another. I love you enough. I'm not going to shrink back from you. So not only am I not shrinking back from God, I'm not going to shrink back from those people that I have covenanted with. I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not giving up on you and you are not going to give up on me. And so therefore we exhort one another to not shrink away from love and help it from loving and helping one another. And so in these difficult times in a, in a, an environment, in a culture right now that is more divided than it probably ever has. And there's more animosity toward people. And I'm seeing this over and over how so many people because of politics and because of COVID and because of other things are saying, all my friends that I had, all these people that I love, all these people who I said were friends and family members have deserted me because we disagreed on something. Beloved, more than ever, we must not let go of stirring and encouraging one another to love and good works. You say, what does that mean? Well, first, it means to encourage each other to the greatest love we've been called to, which is the love of God. Your spiritual health should be of greater concern to us than your physical health. Not that we do not care about your physical health, but your spiritual health, beloved. For, for Christ says, what profits a man that he gained the whole world, but he loses soul? And so if we see someone wavering and someone shrinking back with grace and, grace and love and compassion, we encourage them to press on. It's not going to look the same for everybody. It's not. Some of us are going to go slower pressing on. That's fine. That's okay. No judgment. No shame. But we are going to encourage one another to press on. So, so for example, if you notice someone that you love, if you notice a brother and a sister who is fading away, you begin to pray. You begin to pray. Beg God to intervene. You begin to pray for God to strengthen them and to love them and not let go of them. And then you begin to talk to them as uncomfortable as it may be. You begin to talk to them and you begin to encourage them to the point that it may even become irritation. But you love them and you're not going to let go. I'm not only to be drawing near to God. I'm not only to be holding fast to God. I am to be drawing near and holding fast to you. There is a reason that when we're not here, we... There's a reason why worship is not the same at home as it is here. Because at home, you're not there. I need you. And so we seek to nudge and to encourage them and to prod them. And then we walk with you. We walk with you in spiritual maturity. With the exception of corporate worship love, there are so many things that we can be doing with one another. There's this invention called the telephone. I can pray with you over social distancing. We can do Bible studies. We can have some of you, you, you do things together, you know, with, with certain groups. That's good. Do gather with those that, that you know where they've been, all that gather and, and maybe in your home or whatever and just pray. Study the Bible, read the Bible, evangelize it, but do we are to encourage one another to love God and to draw near to God. I'm not going to sit idly by, throw my hands up and say, just let them go. And then secondly, 
We are to encourage each other to love one another. Again, let's be honest. 2020 has been difficult. As I said, people, it's very easy to, to, for our times to disagree and be divided and, 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 and friendships and things be law. But not in the church. Not in the church. This means that we must follow the guidance of Scripture rather than emotion. We must sacrifice our own selves to follow what the Bible says, that I may truly love one another. You say, Brother Brian, what do you mean by this? Well, there's, this, there's these wonderful things called the one another's in the Scriptures. And I did a sermon series on this, and I'm not sure if it's online, but you can, you can, I can certainly show you this. You can download all of them, go read them all. They're great. I think there's 69 of them. But let me just give you a few. Romans 12.10, we will be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10, we will honor one another above ourselves. Romans 14.9, I will build one another up. 1 Corinthians 12.5, I will serve one another. Galatians 6.2, I will bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.2, I will forgive one another. Ephesians 4.2, I will be patient with one another. Colossians 3.13, I will speak the truth. I'm sorry, I will bear with one another. We may not agree, but we're we're bearing with each other within the community of faith. Ephesians 4.15, I will speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.32, I will be kind and compassionate. Philippians 2.3, I will consider others better than myself. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, I will encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13, I will exhort one another. James 5.16, I will pray for one another. There are so many of these, beloved. I am to hold fast to you. I am to love you I am, as you are to love me and hold fast to me. This is how we are going to draw near to God and near to one another. Together. In love. Following the steps of scriptures that he has given us. These are the essential guidelines for the fellowship of the faith family. And so this is so amazing. I'm not in this alone. And God has given us guidelines in, on how to do this together. And then thirdly, notice that he says good works. What good works does he mean? What good works am I to nudge and to encourage and to stir one another up? Well, there's probably many, but notice that he actually gives us one. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together. Notice that, that he calls them to help one another in this area. The consistent attendance of worship is a good work that we should encourage one another to attend, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Again, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a forsaking. It's, not a, it's, it's a habit of forsaking here. It doesn't mean that, that, that if there's an exposure, you don't stop. It doesn't mean that if, you're, that, that if you've been exposed, that you, that you don't stay home. It, it, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that the overall battle, we're fighting the overall battle here. And so we must fight for the greatest labor of all, which is the worship of God. And as I said, let us walk together through this. Let us pray for one another. Let us, let us have discussions and and cry with one another. 
Let's do things. That, let, let, let's make adjustments so that one another. We, we, we've done that with the chapel. We've made adjustments. We, we want to do things for one another. And we want to walk together in Christian maturity, as we noticed earlier. These are, these are the essentials, beloved. To draw near to God, hold fast our confession, and to stir and encourage one another to love and good deeds. I know that these have been trying days. These are days that are testing where our faith really is. But this is the priority. This is the essential. And so this is what we will focus on. We may let a lot of other things go. But these three things we're not. We cannot let go of. And so we're going to do this with the confidence that he tells us here in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, that confidence that comes from Christ, just as others have. Charles Spurgeon, for example, during the cholera outbreak in the 1850s, a man who met with those who were sick and prayed over them and preached funeral after funeral, he found himself physically and mentally exhausted during this pandemic. Not only that, but he began to fear for his own safety. What started out as a fire to to run the race. He found himself one day walking home after a funeral wondering if he was going to finish the race. But there in the midst of his fears, he learned to trust God. To entrust himself to God and to his faithfulness. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon writes. He said, very soon I became weary in body. And I was sick in heart. My friends seemed falling one by one. I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear and I was ready to seek under it. As I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when as God would have it, My curiosity led me to read a paper which was placed in a shoemaker's window. He said it bore these words. Because thou hast made made me, Lord, which, which is my refuge, even the most high. Thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. And neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The effect upon my heart was immediate. I felt secure, refreshed, the girt with immorality. And he says, I went on with my visitation of the dying. And in a calm and peaceful spirit, I felt no fear of evil and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesmen to place those verses in that window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I praise the Lord my God. Here Spurgeon does not promise that no Christian will never die. But rather, that the Christian need not dread, for he has nothing to lose but everything to gain. Why? Because of Christ. We have confidence in Christ. And so therefore, blood, our struggle to shrink back is not with COVID. It's not with a government and politics. It is with our confidence in Christ. 
And where does one bolster their confidence in Christ? But in the word about Christ. In the reading and the preaching of the word. Therefore, I exhort you, brethren, not to shrink back, but plead that you would plead to Christ this morning for the strength. Look to him to draw near, to hold fast, and encourage one another to do the same. Let's pray.